man, I'm, I'm grateful for this morning. Uh, Jonathan, I'm, I'm grateful for you leading worship. He, he did, just so you know, I think the idea was broached to him lead worship on Friday, just so you know, like not eight Fridays ago, but like Friday. And um, we, we were talking before the service, we were praying even before the service that, you know, we're, we aren't the somebody in this church, right? Like we're not the attraction. And I know that probably doesn't sound like the right word to use in, tra- in church, but uh, nobody is the center of the church. Like I'm not the, you know, we all come together to, to look at me or whatever. Like we're, we're, we're gathering around the only one that really is appropriately worth being the somebody in the room, which is our savior, your savior. Even if you haven't met him yet, he's your savior. Uh, He is pursuing you. And what I love is Jonathan is not the best worship leader. (laughs) Like he's not. He's not the best worship leader. Um, And he said yes. And, you know, we are not worshiping him. He is worshiping, he's being the lead worshiper. Um, And we're coming around that. And you know, I, I just, I think it's so easy in our culture and so easy in our church that like, if you aren't the somebody, you should like cancel people, push people out, um, withdraw so that you can be the king of your castle um, and kind of at the expense of other people. But like the church is this beautiful body of Jesus that he's, he has died for, is living for, and is calling us to move towards each other. So even with like 20 some ladies at a retreat, the temptation is, if you hear good things, if you're a woman, is to say like, well, I wasn't a part of the club, I wasn't there, um, God did some great things, and I wasn't a part of it, so I guess I'm an outsider. Or, you know, to, to see Jonathan and be like, well, man, I would love to, to be gifted as well as him to lead, you know, if that's like not the best worship, I would love to be gifted like him to lead in the way he did and with the confidence he did and with the presence he did. Uh, you know, like what, what my, my prayer is for us is that we actually move towards each other um, because our default is to move away from each other. And like, even as these 20 women come back to be like, what, what did the Lord do in our church with you ladies? And hearing what the Lord did with our church, with these ladies, can be kind of the tip of the spear of like, maybe the Lord's doing something that's going to affect all of us. And these 12, 20 ladies were able to be a part of that, and we can kind of like draft behind them and, and, and let them kind of lead us into some things that maybe the Lord did. I'm hearing like, he's, he's doing significant things in our lives. And, and not to be like, well, man, that's not going to be for me. It's like, no, that's for us. And I'm excited for them to come back and to, to hear some of those stories. And I feel like that for Jonathan too is like, man, my, 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 one of my prayers for us this morning is that Jonathan would encourage all of us to go for it. <laughs> to be like, well, I'm probably not going to be the best at this, but I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to go for it because this isn't about me. Uh, this isn't about me getting glory, and so I'm okay to actually uh, go for it and move towards each other. So all that to say, thank you. I think that was like a compliment, even though I know I slammed you like 10 times, <laughs> but uh, from my heart, it was meant to be a compliment, and I love you, brother. 
Um, so we are, I, I feel like I say that because I feel like this is where the Lord is leading us. You know, I'm not slick to anticipate where we're supposed to be as a church. We just feel like the Lord at times is like this book of the Bible, and then we just go through it. And it's interesting how where we're at is applicable because uh, we didn't plan it, he planned it. And so we're in chapter 30 of verse 1 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 30 in the book of Genesis. We have the scripture on the screen and I would encourage you to bring a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we will get you a Bible. We've got boxes of them that we want to be in your, not just in your hands, but in you. Um, and so uh, I, I, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't meet him until I was in college and all this was new to me. But I had people that say like, yeah, man, I know like it feels weird to like desecrate a Bible by writing in it but it's actually meant to be this book that is this living and active book that is leading you into a living and active relationship with God. And so I circle Bibles, underline them, like I retire Bibles, like, and don't hear me say like I'm super spiritual. I'm doing that because I need it. <laughs> I need him. Uh, I'm broken. I'm desperate. I'm, I'm a needy man and I need him and I need his word. And, and when it hits me, I try to do all, everything I can to capture what's hitting me because it doesn't always hit me the same way and I want to go back there. And so I would even encourage you to, to man, use up Bibles. You know, they're, they're, they're meant to be for our lives to, to, to live on them. Um, so, uh, but they are on the screen too, just for convenience. So verse one of chapter 30 of Genesis says, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And so we'll just pause there. If you remember last week, Rachel was being pursued by Jacob. And we do put sermons online and on podcasts and stuff like that just for um, if you weren't able to be a part of last week, I would encourage you to go back just to kind of get the backstory. And, and even I think things will fall into place even hearing today, but then going back and laying that fill in the details. But, but last week, Rachel was being pursued by Jacob and Jacob was so drunk that he mistakenly married his sister, Leah. And so after 14 years of serving Laban, the, the dad, Jacob and Rachel finally get married. Jacob marries the woman of his dreams that he has been thinking about probably nonstop for 14 years. And Leah, his actual wife for seven years now, Leah is unloved. Leah, or over seven years, Leah is unloved, Leah is unwanted, and scripture makes that clear. Um, nobody is desiring Leah. Um, her husband is not desiring her. And the, the, the woman that's the, the beautiful woman that Jacob is consumed with is Rachel. But Leah then has kids. And that was a big part of last week is that in Leah having kids, Leah hopes the kids will make her husband love her. 
So Leah's desire is that my husband might actually see me. My husband might actually appreciate me. My husband might actually notice me because I'm having these kids. And just so you know, this is not a 3,000 years ago situation. I mean, in community group this week, I have been stunned by the people who say, I'm Leah, or I was Leah, or, you know, it, through tears, like just this, and like just to, for us to realize that if we pretend for a second that our lives are far holier, far more amazing, um, and we just kind of go on autopilot with these beautiful lives, um, I, I, I think, um, now, like, it's a, it's a blessing if your life is not like Leah, but also, like, just this idea that I am in a marriage where I'm unloved, and I'm hoping that these kids might actually get my husband to wake up and see me, is not something that was only experienced way back when. So, Leah, though, gets to this place last week where she finally says, I'm all in with God. I'm going to praise God with this new baby, even if my husband never sees me, I, God sees me. And in that moment, the Leah who is kind of known in scripture as being unattractive, Leah is beautiful. Beautifully giving her life in God's hands. So chapter 30 then turns the camera to Rachel. And Rachel is unable to have kids. And the, the, the question, though, kind of when the camera turns to Rachel is, do Jacob and Rachel live happily ever after? That's the way it's supposed to work, right? I've been long, I, this woman's going to fulfill me. Once I get married to this woman, we're just going to live happily ever after. And right away, Rachel comes to Jacob and says, I'm going I'm, I'm to die if this doesn't happen, if you don't make this happen. It's like, whoa, it's not, it's not, they're not living happily ever after, even what they thought was going to make them live happily ever after. And because Rachel is unable to have kids, she even envies Leah, her sister. And I am pretty certain Rachel has never envied Leah ever for their entire lives. Like there's nothing in scripture that would say Rachel didn't feel anything other than superiority in her interaction with her sister. And now she is envying her sister. And what she is envying, she throws that at Jacob and tells Jacob, I am going to die if you don't give me a child. <laughs> give me children. She's speaking to Jacob. Give me children or I'm done. Jacob, for the first time in maybe years, mentions God. God promised many things to Jacob, promised his presence to Jacob, and it's kind of been like, hey, do we remember this conversation that we had? And Jacob finally mentions God, but what he mentions is to say, am I God? Am I in the place of God? You're talking to the wrong person. I can't give you that. I can't give you what you want from me. And J Jacob knows Rachel should be going to God for this, looking to, God, looking to God to fulfill her deepest longings, to meet her deepest desires. 
not just to give her a child, but even to meet her if a child doesn't come, to be present with her even if a child doesn't come. And remember, we talked about that last week, that the two most amazing resources that are given to us is God's promises and God's presence. He's like, here, you can take this all to the bank. This is true. This is for you. These are my promises to you. And it's like, man, if, if there's only one copy of this, like your house is on fire, you, this is what you're, what you're going for, is, is God's promises for you, but then his presence. He's like, I give you this and I give you myself to be with you in it. So Rachel knows that God gave promises to Jacob. So what's kind of fascinating here is that one thing that Rachel is desperate for is for herself to be a part of God's promises. I mean, imagine overhearing God talk to your husband and say, hey, I'm gonna give you so many people. Peep nations are gonna come from you. The savior of the world's gonna come from, from your line. And Rachel's like, I might not be a part of this. Uh, because God promised my husband these things, but I can't have a child. And you, know, you start seeing her fears and concerns, her desperation to have kids. I think she wants to have kids, hopefully just to love them, but also there's a desperation for the promises of God to come about through her. So let's see how this plays out in verse three. Then she said, Rachel, this is where she goes with this. And we can see generational sin at play here. Um, this is not a new strategy of the family. She said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her. Rachel's saying this to Jacob. Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf. That even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Verse 7, Rachel served Bilhah, or Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings. I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she hasn't had a baby for a while, she took her, her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And man, I just see Rachel and Leah are like in this downward spiral attacking each other. You know, you see movies like that where they like jump from an airplane and they're like two people fighting as they're falling or something like that. Like I see Rachel and Leah kind of like that. They're in this downward spiral, um, judging each other, feeling judged by God. You know, Rachel is like, God, you are judging me and hearing me. They're taking matters into their own hands. I know, I know what I need to do here to make this work. Everyone is judging each other. 
Everyone is believing. They, they think they know exactly what God is doing and why God is doing it. And what, what I find to be disturbing, to be a, a, a charge to us, is God is being talked about by these people. Like if you just went in a time machine and just landed on the ground and you're just listening and watching these people interact with each other, they're going to be mentioning God a lot. God is talked about, but God is not sought. Everybody's talking about him. No one's going to him. They're all God here, God here, God here, God here, and they're not, hey, why don't we go to him and see what we need to do right now? They're not seeking him out. And Jacob is complicit in this. You know, he probably thinks he's a rock star in this moment. And he's not leading his family in the things of God. He's being complicit as his family is seeking to think they know God's way without actually asking him for his way. And Leah is in the exact same place where she was at the beginning of last chapter. So she got to this incredible place where her eyes are on God alone, and then a new thing comes about, and she's no longer having kids, and her sister, there's kids coming kind of from her line, and there's all this stuff that's happening, and Leah is in this, this back where she started place. Look at verse 20. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment through these kids that are coming from her uh, servant Zilpah. And then look what she says. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. She's right back to this really sad place of hoping the sixth son will be the son that finally makes my husband honor me as his wife. And is it wrong to think that kids are a blessing from God? No, right? Thank you for whoever said that very, very confidently and clearly. Jason, thank you. It is not wrong to think of the kids being a blessing from God. Is it, is, it, it's not wrong for a husband to honor a wife. That's a good thing. When a hus- so after five sons, when a husband is still not loving, seeing, honoring his wife, putting all your hope that a sixth son is going to be the, the, the catalyst that changes Jacob completely, changes this relationship completely, um, that is not good. Is putting your hope in a sixth son to, to right all the wrongs. It's sad for Leah to go there. It's a sad statement about their relationship. And it's a sad indictment to Jacob's character during this season that his wife would be fighting such a battle without him even being on the same playing field, not being present. So in this, though, we see Rachel also putting her hope in the wrong places, too. She is going to die if she doesn't have a son. Remember her telling you that. If I don't have a son, I'm done. So what does that mean? What does she want more than anything in the world? She wants a son. Okay? Look at verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel 
and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Look at verse 24. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. God, I mean, it's just like, I mean, this is, it's depressing. It's really depressing. Um, is she names the son she has been yearning for for years now. I'm sure it's been years. She names him, could I have another one? That's his name. Hey, what's your name? Joseph. Oh, what does your name mean? My mom wants somebody, another one. So God is gracious to her, allowing her to finally conceive a son, what she's been yearning for. And she automatically sees that it doesn't fill her. It doesn't meet her deepest longings like she thought it did. And so she even, she knows it so quickly that even naming her son is what she's thinking about. It's really fascinating. There, she's, and, and once again, they are talking about God, but they're not seeking him out. They're talking about God. They're using God's name and they're talking about him, but they're not seeking him out. They're, they're not inviting him in. He's promising his presence, but they're not letting him in. And what ultimately makes these spouses who they need to be, I mean, imagine being a kid growing up with this being your aunt's, uncle's, and some of you might be like, I grew up in that family. But, you know, this is a dysfunctional family. Saying dysfunctional things. Even being religious people, being very dysfunctional. And, you know, I think if I was growing up in this house, if I was one of these 12 sons, um, eventually it'll be 12 sons, that I think I'd feel like a pawn. Like, I think I'd feel like a pawn in the hands of my parents' broken lives. Like, a lot of my existence is out of a broken place. I think I'd feel like a pawn from my parents' broken longings. So in the middle of all of this happening, then we're taken to Jacob and Laban, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I've given you. Verse 27, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Laban says to Jacob, name your wages and I will give it. Remember, Laban asked Jacob years ago, what do you want? He's like, Rachel, only Rachel. You know, so like, this is like the second time that his father-in-law said, what do you want? Name your wages, you know, and I'm like hiding, you know, be like, oh, please don't, don't say what I think you're going to say. Name your wages and I will give it. So Laban asked Jacob these questions and what he, about, about what he wants. And it didn't go well last time. It ended up going a 21-year detour that we're just starting to come back from. But Jacob is like, I want to go home. I have an entire land that's been promised to me, and I'm living my entire life far from that land. I'm far from home, and I want to go home. 
And what we see, and I love that actually we're let into the, what's happening behind the scenes that's motivating the people to say and do the things that they're saying and doing, is that Laban is scared. And a lot of times guys get angry and you feel like anger, but they're really scared. Scared is the catalyst that's, that you're seeing the anger from. And uh, I feel that way sometimes when like my kids, like I'm, I don't know where they're at or like I have two kids now that have their licenses and can drive anywhere, you know, and I realize sometimes like I'm scared because for one second, you know, my find my, their location is not updating, you know, <laughs> like it's the curse of a, I guess a 21st century parent where it's like, you know, it's not updating. I knew where they were three minutes ago. I don't know where they are right now. Is something wrong, you know? And those are real fears, right? But then when they come, I don't be like, oh, I love you so much. I just attack them. Oh, how did you, you know, what? And they're like, what's going on? You know, I thought, and I was like, oh, I'm afraid. And, and I'm taking it out on you that I'm afraid. I actually should have been going a different direction. So what we see Laban doing here is Laban realizes he's gotten really rich. He's got all sorts of livestock. And he knows that the reason he's rich is because Jacob is living with him. And they're farming together. And Jacob wants to go home. And Laban is like, if he leaves, there goes my life, my livelihood. Um, he, he'll probably take all the livestock with him. And so I can't let that happen. He wants to leave. I don't want him to leave. Like, like we, we see this happening in the text. And so once again, God is being talked about, but no one's actually going to him. And for the rest of this chapter, we won't go through all the details of the chapter, but for the rest of this chapter, Laban is trying to work their livestock so that none of Jacob's livestock are left by the time Jacob leaves. Jacob is trying to work the livestock so that none of Laban's livestock are there by the time he leaves. It's like, hey, I'm going to take group A, I'm going to take group B. And he's like, okay, how do I get all of these to become group A? And then Laban's like, how do I get all these to become group B? And they're both operating out of fears of wanting to see see an ability to provide and things like that happening. And they're doing it in this passive aggressive way towards each other where they are seeking to decimate each other's herd. Jacob is back to being a trickster. Laban is back to being a deceiver. And both of them are at their worst against each other. Verse 42 and 43 wraps up the chapter telling us, so the feebler animals would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So Jacob kind of won out in the game of tricking. Then verse 43, thus the man increased greatly, Jacob, and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. God's promises, God God had promised to be with Jacob, and we're seeing that he is. He's prospering Jacob. He's orchestrating things for them to be able to become a nation. And God's promises are coming about around these people. God is not, he, he should just, if, if any of us were in the same situation, we are not as gracious as he is. We're not as patient as God is. We would just walk away from these people and find some better people to do stuff with. But he, if, I think one thing God is showing us and what's amazing is Jesus and other, like throughout scripture, God introduces himself as the God of Jacob. 
And it's like, okay, maybe he can be my God too. <laughs> if, if he can do these things in the lives of these people, um, it, it, it's amazing. You know, he's not like oh, the, the, the God of Joseph, who we know of almost no like, bad sin that Joseph ever did. You know, he could call himself the God of Joseph, be like, well, I got to live up to, I got to be like Joseph to have a God like that. God of Jacob, he introduces himself frequently. And in the middle of this, like what I wanted to see, and I want to be this person, is imagine, let me paint a different picture for us. Imagine Laban goes up to Jacob and says, hey, this is kind of weird for me to say, but like, I'm afraid. Jacob's like, what do you have to be afraid about? He's like, man, I know God's with you. And I want him to be with me. And I'm afraid. And I, I want to see you go to the promised land. But I'm afraid that if you go to the promised land, um, God's promises will go with you. God's presence will go with you. And I would like those for myself. And I don't know what to do about that. But I just want to let you know when you ask me to leave, that's what I was thinking and feeling. And I just want to move towards you. Like, you know, that's like, uh, Jacob probably would have been like, wow. Um, well, hey, can I share a few things too? You know, when this, this really hurt me when this happened. And man, I know I deceived you here. And uh, man, I, I want God's promises for you too. I want them for me. And I want God to be with you. And I want God to be with me. And hey, can we go to him together? How about you and me just go to him and, and ask him to sort this out? What if, we, what if I pray for you that God would be present with you? And what if you pray for me that God would be present with me? And what if we go to him together? It's like, the situation's the same. <laughs> One is a, the way that we operate in default. I know what's happening. I know what's happening here. I know the way to solve this. I know the way to get through this. I got to get him out of the way so God can be big in my life. And it's like, yeah, that's the way all of us are going to operate if God is not breaking into our lives, if God is not changing us to actually be a people. Because I think what happens in our individualistic society is it's like, my life would be better without Laban. If Laban was not a part of my life, I would not have these problems. I don't need Laban. I don't need a church. I don't need, I just need, just give me God and I'm good. But it's like, but I think God is like, I want Jacobs and Labans to have a meeting, sit around a fire together and seek God together. And that's, those are my people. That's my church. Moving towards each other, not canceling each other. And what all of these people, what all of chapter 30 is missing is God being the one who's directing them. You know, like, God, direct us. God, correct us. Am I seeing this wrong? Is he seeing it wrong? We're next to each other. We got, this is us having our arm around each other, just so you know. Here we are. We're prone to hate each other two of us right here, but like, is he wrong? Am I wrong? We, we, we want both of us 
to follow you. And we, we want both of us. We got reasons to stab each other in the back, but we're coming before you. Would you correct us? Would you direct us? Would you teach us? Would you lead us? You see that, how Jesus draws his disciples? He draws people who hate each other. And he's not trying to be mean about it. He's trying to have God break in radically in the lives of everybody because he's the Prince of Peace. And he wants what we want, and he knows how to get there. And what this relationship is missing is they're missing God correcting them, directing them, teaching them, leading them, really leading them to heal their broken relationships. For him to step into their broken relationships and bring healing. That's what they're missing. Um, a little preview of coming attractions. I've been tempted to just skip, skip this chapter, skip the next chapter, because Jacob doesn't see it. What God actually has to do is tackle him physically. Like Jacob is, it's going to be amazing in two Sundays when this is like the whole focus of two Sundays for the most part, is Jacob's getting ready to cross a river to go into the promised land. And, and Jesus is like, we can't keep going this way. We, we, we can't keep, you can't keep living on my promises without my presence. I'm taking you out, tackling you. And they actually physically, I mean, this Iowa farm boy style, like they wrestle all night long for hours. They wrestle where Jesus is seeking to break him, break a wild stallion to actually have him be a guy who lives on the presence of God and having God be the one who directs his affairs. And man, what, what, what my hope and my prayer has been as, as we, as we kind of say, okay, that was them. That was then, that was them. This is here, this is now. Is man, I, I just so desire for God's presence to break into each of our lives. For with his promises, for his presence to just break in to our world, our relationships. I don't want us to be a people who talk a lot about God and then live with a lot of broken relationships that go unhealed apart from his presence. A life where actually we're seeing broken relationships with each other becoming healthy relationships because God is present with us. The healer is here. The reconciler is here. And for us, I think it's beautiful moments in our church where it's like, hey, I'm moving towards you and I don't know how we get reconciled here or I don't know how we move forward or I don't know how we lock arms together or I don't know how, but like, can we go to him and just kind of look at him and see if he would sort this out? if he would sort out what's happening in my relationships, if he would sort out actually what's happening in here. Sometimes the biggest battleground of, of enemies is your own voice to yourself, your own thoughts about yourself. Man, I, and, and I'm not, it's like, what's happening in the church? Is, this, uh, is there open warfare <laughs> at every point? It's like, yeah, there is, because 
we're all a part of this, and it's possible in us, around us. But also, what's beautiful is there are so many beautiful stories of being like, man, I'm starting to see, you know, it might be, if you look at Jacob, it's like he's got a whole list of broken relationships. And what if like him and Laban just had one good conversation? It's like, God is real. (laughs) You know, somebody look and be like, these guys would not do this unless the power of God was real. I want him to. I want to follow him in that way. And so transformation sparks transformation because, because we're actually coming closer to the one who does these things. Teaching us, correcting us, directing us, leading us. Speaking with him about the details of our lives. Coming around him. You know, I, I, just the same conversation with Jacob and Laban could have been having with sisters, with Rachel and Leah, with Bilhah and Zilpah, who it's like, they might have been like, hey, we're swept up in this. This is really weird. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I think we need to go to God together here. These people should be going to God and they're not. I think we should. All of these being transformation moments where God's light is shining into the darkness, where we're bringing our longings to him We're bringing to him our deepest longings. We're bringing to him, just we're just used to coming to him. We're bringing our hopes to him. We're bringing our disappointments to him. We're coming to him in the pursuit of the fulfillment of his promises in our lives. We're trying to lay down deceiving other people to manipulate the promises of God. We're laying down duping other people. We're, we're laying down even looking to other people to be what will set it right so that all could be right. But instead, we're actually moving into the presence of God that he guarantees to be present with us. He guaranteed that to Jacob. He guarantees it to us. The end of Matthew is him saying, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. For us to lay down the things that, that would seek to be the weapons against each other or the walls against each other and stepping into God's presence together, sitting in his way together. And um, I think it's safe for us to say like, hey, we didn't grow up this way. Most of us didn't. I was at a men's thing Friday night and it was crazy in Des Moines. Like those, there's some Des Moines Jesus following brothers that are kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, like in the best of way, like no joke, they planned this event. Uh, a group of us were there. Five sermons in one, this thing started at 6.30 p.m. Five full-on deluxe sermons. I was told to keep my, I was the outsider coming in, and I was told, keep your sermon to 25 minutes maximum. And I was like, okay, I worked really hard, 20 minutes, I wanted to, you know, get, get even within expectations, you know, and um, the first guy gets up whose idea was this whole thing, 45-minute message. <laughs> Next guy, 40-minute sermon, and I'm like, oh man, this thing is, this is for real, you know, and I was like, is this, is this okay? The, like, no breaks, no worship, anything. Three sermons in a row on a Friday night in Des Moines in a church, and it was like, why do I think this is wrong? I was like, I have no problem watching a two and a half hour movie. And I just, for some reason, but I I finally like got into the zone of like, man, this is incredible. And no joke, this thing started at 630. The the thing where it was like, okay, let's now break and hang out started at 1030. We're in a four hour church service, just a bunch of 
crazy Des Moines Jesus-loving dudes. <laughs> and, and we kind of got, got into the, the pipeline of that. Um, it, but it, it was really cool to just sit in the presence of God together as a people. It was really beautifully racially diverse. But what was crazy was how many of the people talked about like their dad was never present in their lives. That almost every guy said, I feel like I have this wound in me which is my dad either wasn't present or my dad was so amazing, I can never live up to my dad. I will always be less. Either I feel broken because my dad wasn't present in my life or I feel broken because I know I can't be like him. And, and just to hear like guy after guy share stuff like that was really something. And what, what we're being invited into this morning is actually our father, like the, the, our, our, our perfect father saying, come, beckoning us to his presence. Um, and we might not even know what that's like because we might not have a grid for that. And he'll teach us the grid. He'll show us actually what it's like to interact with a really good father. And so Lord, we, um, we want to be a people we, we want to be a people who are present together with you, where we are learning and growing and feasting on your promises. They're changing us. They're changing us from the inside out. We, we want to be a people who are moving into your presence together, and you are correcting us, directing us, healing us, um, we want to be a people like that. We don't want to play at church. We don't want church to become um, anything other than what you designed it to be, which is what you died for, what, what you are living for. You, you actually call this your bride. You call the church your bride. That is how close you are in your relationship with us. And Lord, for those who... Um, feel like an outsider because they, they don't know you this way. They've never given their lives to you in this way. Um, would they just boldly come home today into your arms, the perfect, perfect God, perfect Father, come to you, Jesus, as their Savior. Um, for those who feel like an outsider because of just broken things and hard things and, and things that have felt hard, Lord, um, just in a way that we would have yearned for Jacob and Laban to move towards each other because they're moving towards you together. Would you show us how to do that? We want, each of us want that. We, we want to see you change us, change our marriages, change our relationships, change our relationships with classmates, with teammates, with, uh, with, with just people in our community, Lord. And, and, and we know that we need you to do all that you are calling us into. And so, Lord, even as we get ready to take communion, Lord, instead of just having us be people who eat bread and drink juice or drink wine, would you actually show us how to commune with you? That this is actually a time of us moving towards you, not just moving towards liquid or bread. And would you show us that for your glory, we pray. Amen.